If you uh, have your Bibles with you or uh, grab one that's in front of you, uh, we will be looking at just a handful of verses from Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, and as you're locating that uh, in your Bible, I'll invite you, if you would, to uh, join me in a word of prayer as we prepare to hear from our God today. Let's pray together. Holy uh, God, you are here and you are present with your people, not because of anything that we have done or said, but because you have promised us that you are here. And so today we stand on that promise and we ask that you would help us to open uh, the eyes of our heart and, and allow us to recognize you here in our midst. Open uh, our ears of understanding so that we can hear your voice speaking our name uh, and speaking to our need and to our moment. Lord, help us to know deep in our bones today that being here, we have met with you. We have been in the presence of our God. Lord, may that be so for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we look at the text today, I want to acknowledge that next week uh, we begin the season of Advent already. So if you haven't already clued in, there's Christmas decorations and Christmas music and everything playing. Advent is starting next week. And so uh, this week we want to do just a little bit of an introduction to what our Advent series will be about. And so uh, what we're going to be doing through the season of Advent, beginning next Sunday, is a study of the Lord's Prayer. And I know that studying the Lord's Prayer during Advent is a little bit of an unusual choice for an Advent series, but hang with me for a minute because I think that in the Lord's Prayer, we get everything that Advent wants to give to us. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, we cover all of the sort of traditional themes and ideas and connections that Advent invites us to make. And so, for example, uh, hope is a grand theme of Advent. We live in the season of Advent with a, a renewed sense of being a hopeful, waiting people. And in the Bible, the, the idea of hope, real hope, isn't just wish fulfillment, but real hope always comes from the presence of God. And when you open up the Lord's Prayer and you begin reading Our Father, what we're going to see next week is that that, that that language of Father is language that invokes and recognizes the presence, the hopeful presence of our God. Uh, think about love, another grand theme of Advent. In the season of Advent, we reconnect with the purpose and the power of God's love uh, for us and in our world. And in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come. And we know that the power of God's kingdom isn't found in militaries or in wealth, but the power of God's kingdom is found in his capacity for love, his endless, boundless capacity for love. And then when we pray, your will be done here on earth, what we're saying is that, that God's will would be accomplished in and through us. And, and we don't have to wonder what God's will and purpose is because that uh, it, it's spelled out over and over again all through the pages of Scripture that God invites us and wants us. His will for us is to be a loving people. Joy is another theme of Advent. So hope, love, joy. And joy comes as we receive this daily bread this daily sustenance, this daily care that we, that we experience at the hands of our God. Our daily needs are met by this God who is present with us. We can 
find joy and comfort in that. And then this idea of peace. Uh, peace is proclaimed uh, at the birth of Jesus, that Jesus has come, that peace on earth might reign, that peace would be known by all humanity. And in the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, we pray for that peace and we uh, make it very specific and very personal. And the peace that we pray for is a peace that comes when we both experience and extend forgiveness. The peace that comes as we both experience and extend forgiveness of sin. We experience living at peace with God and with others. So, so all of these grand, important themes of Advent show up through the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. And then uh, we know that Advent itself points to Jesus. Advent is a season all about not only remembering when Jesus first arrived in the world, but it's also a season of anticipating Jesus' second arrival, his second Advent. And so Advent is all about refocusing and, and, and recentering ourselves around the person of Jesus. And in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of important ways, Jesus is himself the answer to the prayer that he teaches his disciples to pray. Jesus is the answer. And so it is because of Jesus that we can call God our Father. And it is through Jesus, through Emmanuel, God with us, that we can say that God's kingdom truly has already come here on earth in some small way as it is in heaven, and that it will come more and more and ultimately completely to be here on earth as it is in heaven. It is Jesus, the living bread, who ultimately sustains and nourishes us each and every day. It's in Jesus that we discover that we are forgiven and that we're equipped with the power to live as forgiving people. Jesus is the answer both to Advent and to the prayer that he teaches. But even more than just the themes of Advent, the ethos, uh, the spirit, the feel of Advent, um, this eager sense of waiting, uh, it's, it, the Advent season is the season of standing on tiptoes as a four-year-old, peeking around the corner to see if the presents are under the tree. It's that eager waiting, that bated breath, that longing, that, that anticipation, that sense of waiting, that, that sense of reflective space, of, of stepping back and, and recognizing who you are and where you are and what you are becoming. It's that sense of refocusing perspective, all of those things, all of that, that tone and mood of Advent is also the tone and the mood of the prayer that Jesus invites us to cultivate. And so this Advent season, we are going to be saturating ourselves in prayer. Now, some of us hear that and we say, that sounds fantastic. And some of us hear that and we say, ah, I can't think of anything that sounds less interesting or less uh, exciting for me to be connected to. Some of us feel a wash and shame and guilt uh, because we haven't performed the way we ought to or think we should when it comes to prayer. We have all kinds of experiences, all kinds of reactions to the idea of spending a season listening and speaking to God. But we're going to plunge ahead. And so this season of Advent, there are going to be just sort of all sorts of ways for you to connect in prayer. And my hope is that this morning you'll find uh, um, the, 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 the energy or the drive or the purpose that would, that would 
that would uh, prompt you to want to engage and connect with some of these opportunities. So you've already heard about praying the hours or this idea of daily prayers. So uh, for many people, that's really um, foreign. It's unusual. Uh, and, and what I want to say to you is that in the seasons of my life, when I've had a rhythm of daily prayer, uh, corporately coming together, praying on a regular routine basis, um, that that articulates life. It, it becomes a drive and a rhythm of life in a way that nothing else provides. And so uh, uh, for most of us, when we think about finding time to pray, what we're thinking about is, you know, I've got so many things to do today. I've got schedules and sleep and kids and work and this. And and in the holidays season is even more hectic and more. And how do I find time to fit prayer into my schedule and find time to make uh, space to pray? And, and when we pray the hours, when we pray this rhythm of daily prayers, we're, we're turning all of that on its head and we're saying, no, 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 no. I'm not just trying to find places in my, my day where I can fit prayer, but rather my whole day is, is a prayer. And I'm finding places in my prayer where I can fit my life. It, it, it just changes the way that we approach God. It changes the way that we approach our day. When our day is a day of prayer, and life happens in the midst of that prayer rather than the other way around. So I want to invite you to, to really take that on and to, and to give yourself to as much of that experience as you can. Uh, we're going to be uh, providing, as you heard, about uh, some Advent devotionals, some time for personal or family, household prayers, places where you can do your own prayerful work and reflection and waiting. Uh, we're going to be praying together in our worship service. You're going to be praying together in your Oasis groups. Uh, we're going to enter into all sorts of practices of prayer. And that's a really key idea here, that, that we're not just cognitively reflecting on or thinking about or learning about prayer, but we're practicing prayer, that we're doing prayer, that we're becoming people who pray. Because prayer, um, in the long run, is a lot like kissing. It, it's, it's better to do it than to read about it, right? I mean, it's better to do it than to think about it. Don't just study kissing, right? The joy, the joy is ultimately in kissing. So we want to begin our journey through um, what we often call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer uh, here in Matthew 6 next week. And this week, what we want to do is look at the prayer, the verses that are leading up to Jesus' prayer. So Matthew 6, uh, uh, beginning at verse 5. And so this is Jesus teaching, and he says this, And now, about prayer. When you pray, and by the way, uh, that when you pray is a, a command language, right? It, it's, it's, the, it's the language of direction. It isn't uh, should you pray or uh, uh, if, you, if you happen to pray uh, or you might consider praying. Uh, this is the language of command. He's assuming, the assumption here is that we will be people who are praying. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners 
and in the synagogues when everyone can see them. I assure you that that is all the reward they will ever get. And when you pray, again, the command repeated, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father secretly. Then your father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. Uh, They think that their prayers are answered only because uh, they repeat their words again and again. Don't be like them because your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. We'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy and inspired word. I like to think about these, uh, this handful of verses as sort of a preamble to the Lord's Prayer. This is the preamble to the Lord's Prayer, to the prayer that he wants to teach his disciples. Uh, uh, most of us think of a preamble, uh, we think of our Constitution, right? The preamble to the Constitution. What is the purpose of a preamble in a Constitution? Uh, the preamble uh, to the Constitution. The Constitution describes what? It describes the way that the government will function. It describes what the government will be will, will do and how the government is formed. But the preamble to the Constitution uh, describes the purpose of that government, right? Why do we need this kind of government in the first place? And so uh, the preamble to the Constitution of this country says that the purpose of government, the purpose not the form, not, the, not the, the way that it works, but the purpose of government is uh, to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide uh, for the common defense, promote the general law. You know the language of the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. It's the purpose of the government. It's, it's, it's as if the, the authors are saying, look, before you go through all of the trouble of designing and instituting and establishing this government that will function in the way that we are about to describe, You need to understand why you're doing this government in the first place. What is your motive? What is the purpose of this government that you're about to establish and create? And Jesus is doing something very, very similar here with this preamble to his prayer. He's saying, I'm about to give you the how. I'm, I'm about to show you what to pray and what that looks like and how to function in prayer. I'm about to give you that. But first, what I want to do is I want to, I want before you go through all of the trouble of building a life of prayer, before you go through all of the, 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 the heartache and the wrestling and everything that's involved in becoming a person, before you do that, here's the motivation. Here's why. Why do you pray? What is prayer for? And he does this in a really clever way. He does this almost in reverse. And he says, um, this preamble is going to give you... Uh, um, some reasons not to pray, right? These are not the reasons to pray. Uh, the first thing he says is you don't pray uh, in order to look good. You don't pray in order to look good. You don't pray in order to look good on a street corner. You don't pray in order to look good in a church. Prayer isn't about looking good or about getting points. Uh, it isn't about that. It isn't a performance. The word hypocrite in the text is the word for an actor. Prayer is not about putting on a performance so that other people uh, will be impressed with who you are. Now, what I think when I read those words is that that, that may have been, and that, that may have been the, the, the concern that Paul needed to address about performance, uh, that, that in, in Paul's context, um, in Jesus' context, 
in the New Testament context that there are uh, all of these other uh, sort of religious functions happening, and people like to um, be admired for their religiosity, right? And so that isn't necessarily our context. Uh, I don't, I don't, um, I don't have a lot of appointments with people who say, you know, my my the besetting sin of my life is that I just love to go out on street corners and pray out loud for everybody to admire me, right? That isn't the way that we get admired today. Uh, I think, I think, I think for us to hear what Jesus is saying in this in this verse, we have to hear the opposite. Uh, in other words, if it's true that I don't pray in order to be admired then it's also true that I don't not pray in order to be admired. In other words, uh, if my frame of reference about prayer is, what do people think of me if I do this or if I don't do this? Will people admire me if I don't pray? Uh, I'm, I'm afraid to pray because of what people will think. I'm afraid to pray because of what people might think. If my frame of reference is, a, is, is about what other people are thinking about my praying, um, then I'm, I'm beginning at the wrong point, says Jesus. My, 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 my prayer life is not governed by either moving towards prayer or away from prayer based on the approval or the applause or the opinion of other human beings. The second thing that Jesus says is, uh, don't, so first of all, don't let, don't, don't let the opinions of others guide your prayer life, right? To pray or not to pray is not about how you look or don't look. It's not a performance. And the second thing he says is, um, don't pray. This is harder. This may be harder. Don't pray because you want to get God to do things. Don't pray because you want to get God to do things. Prayer is not about he says, convincing or persuading or enlightening God. Uh, when he talks about these other religions, he's talking about um, uh, the, the sort of the tribal uh, religions, certainly the Greek uh, pagan religions. And in these religions, um, it, it was very commonly understood that as a human being, if you went through the right sort of incantations and magical recitations and you repeated uh, over and over and over again the right words and the right practices, that somehow you could control God, that, that you could get God to do what you wanted God to do. Uh, and, 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 um, and Jesus says, that isn't so. Uh, prayer is not about finding just the right uh, eloquent argument to get God to do what you want God to do. That isn't what prayer is about. So if you have ever given up on prayer, or said, ah, I tried to pray once and I didn't get what I wanted. And so I, get, I mean, if you've ever given up on prayer, if you've ever been disappointed in prayer because you didn't get the answer that you were asking, I mean, all of that, all of that, Jesus is saying, uh, it, it's the wrong starting point for what prayer is in the first place. Prayer is not about trying to manipulate God into giving you something that he doesn't really want to give you in the first place. What Jesus is saying here, and this might this might be this might sound absolutely confusing. It's counterintuitive. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, listen. Prayer is not a religious activity. The reason that so many people dislike prayer uh, is because they think it's a religious activity. In fact, if you make prayer a religious activity, if you make it religious, it loses its power and it loses its appeal. 
when you make prayer into this thing, this religious activity, it loses its actual power and it loses its appeal. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that religion is mostly, human religion is mostly about ritual and control, right? If you do the right rituals, you get God to do what you want God to do. That's certainly the way that the Greek gods behaved, right? If you do the right sacrifices, if you make the right deals, if you make the right bargains, if you pay the right prices, the Greek gods will do what you want them to do. Uh, It's certainly the way that the Babylonian gods behaved. And, And frankly, it's even the way in the Old Testament that many ancient Hebrews incorrectly thought that the God of the Bible behaved. And so they thought they could live any old way that they wanted to, and as long as they gave the right sacrifices and paid the right penalties and did the right steps uh, and did the right purification, as long as they did all the right rituals, that they could still get God to fight their battles and do their thing and be on their side. And when God wouldn't conform to that, they started to throw up their hands and say, well, I don't understand, we're, we're, we're pushing all the right buttons and God isn't dancing to our tune." And so in the Old Testament, the prophets have to come over and over again and say, listen, this is what God is wanting to say to you. God doesn't want your sacrifice. He doesn't want your filthy rituals. It's like a stench in his nostrils. Don't do that. What God wants from you, what God longs for from you, is your heart. He wants you. He wants intimacy in a relationship with you. And in that sense, in that sense, prayer can't be. It never was intended to be a religious performance in order to get something from God that he doesn't want to give to us. And so in this preamble to prayer, Jesus is just clearing all that away. He's getting rid of it. And in its place, he says, listen, prayer isn't about being religious. It's about a relationship. It's all about intimacy. And in fact, Jesus uses this word secret. He uses this idea of being in secret. Pray in secret, he says. Yes, it's um, about the place that you pray, uh, as opposed to praying out loud and in public as a performer so that you can get the applause from people. It's it's certainly about the place that you can pray. But, But the word that Jesus uses here when he describes the idea of being in secret, um, it, it isn't all that common in the New Testament. It's used um, maybe a dozen times. And most of the time, we find it right here in this passage in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6. One of the other places that the idea of being in secret occurs is when the New Testament thinks about the secret part of who you are, the unseen part of you, the deepest, hidden, secret place of your heart. In other words, your soul. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the place that describes the hidden, deepest parts of a human being. The real you. And Jesus is saying that the ultimate prayer takes place there. Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't, don't put on a lot of pretense and show and religious jargon and just be connected to God in that secret place. The real you. In that quiet moment. That that intimate moment. In that sense. In that place. Prayer is it's like a kiss. 
So here's the why to pray. Jesus says prayer is not about being a religious person. Prayer isn't even about being a good person. Prayer is about being a human person who gets to enjoy intimacy with God. We started by saying, when we contemplate spending a whole month in prayer, that we have some mixed feelings in the room about that. When we talk about intimacy with God, the level of ambivalence rises even further. The reality is most of us are ambivalent about intimacy. We both long for it and we avoid it. I was thinking, thinking back to uh, when our daughter Hannah was born. She uh, uh, had just been born and uh, her older brother Benjamin um, is home with grandma and we were so, so you know, all excited about the first moment that Benjamin was going to come and see his new, brand new little sister, right? And uh, so we, you know, kind of planned it out and made arrangements. And, and um, you know, there's Hannah, you know, just tranquil and, and in her little bassinet all swaddled up. And you could hardly imagine a more perfect little angel laying there in sweetness. And, and uh Oh Lord, if we only knew. And there, and then, and Benjamin came in, and he was all excited and just all, uh, you know, filled with awe and wonder. And we've been building this up. You're going to have a new little sister, and she's going to come, and you know, and mom's time, you know, and, and and all of that. And and so he's coming in all wide-eyed, and you know, uh, just you know, um, a year old or so, and and climbs up on the stair on the chair next to this little bassinet and he he leans over and then it's just this most magical beautiful it's like a parent's dream and he leans over and it's just nobody had to tell him it was just just him right just just intuitive and gentle and this this flow of love comes out of him and he leans over he gives her this this little kiss and then he steps back and he gets her backhand like that, just, just across the face, right? And, and before we could even, I mean, it's before we could even, and he's swatting away at her. I said, that's it, that's it. That's, that's, that's our human ambivalence, right? That's it. I want to be, I love you and I want to hit you, right? I, I, all right, I'm, it, there, there's, there's this, I want to be close to you. I want to be close to you, but not too close. I want to be close, but not too close. That's the human condition. I'm yearning for connection, but I'm also desperate to stay hidden. I I, I long for you, and I'm afraid of you. And we come to God, and, and we struggle with our praying, right? We struggle to be people of prayer. And, and, People always say, well, I just don't have the time to pray. I just don't have time to pray. Are you kidding me? Really? I don't have time to pray? 
This is the God of the universe. I was thinking about this verse when we were out diving this past week and, and just the, the expanse of the sea. And the psalmist says that God holds all of the seas just in the hollow of his hand. That God, the living God, wants to spend time with you. I don't have time. It isn't about not having time. We all have time for everything that is important to us. It isn't about time. It's about, I want to be close to you, God, but not too close. I want to kiss you, but I also want to... I want to show you a little movie clip. Uh, it's a movie um, called Tree of Life. Some of you have seen it. Uh, and in this movie, uh, there's a little boy named Jack. Jack is the uh, oldest of his siblings. He's growing up in uh, Texas, so you're going to hear his accent. Uh, he's grown up in Texas in the 1950s. And in this movie, uh, Jack uh, has to sort of make his way through life. And he's living in this uh, conflicted space between his mother's sort of loving and graceful and beautiful ways, on the one hand, and his father's strict and authoritarian nature. And, and so he's just navigating his way through life. And uh, I want to show you how he prays about that. And, and listen um, really carefully to the whispered parts of the prayer. What do you notice? Jack's prayers begin close but not too close. Uh, it's, it's in that place of safety. It's the, the acceptable prayers. Right? Help me not sass my dad. Help me not to get dogs in fights. Help me to be thankful for everything I've got. And then, then it's almost like he recognizes that that's inadequate. And he wants to say something more. And, and then he suddenly just breaks away from the, the standard prayers. And, and in this moment of raw honesty, he whispers the deepest, the secret longings, right? the hidden longings. He, he whispers from his soul. And he says, where do you live? 
where do you live? I want to connect with you. And, and he comes back to his senses and he says, um, um, I need to, I need to, you know, help, help me not to tell lies. Help me to, you know, forgive me for my sins. Keep me. And he, he, want, he, he goes back. And then it, it's as if the, the, this, this, this deep connection, this, this longing for intimacy with God just won't stay hidden. And he whispers again. Watching me, God. I want to know what you are. I want to see what you see. I believe that Jesus is saying, you are made to know the whisper of God. You're made to know the whisper of God. The the kiss of God. In that right now, uh, at this moment, you are as close to God as you have really chosen to be. And when you and I become satisfied with close but not too close, uh, we're not just a little bit less religious, we're less human. And there's something in the deep, secret, hidden part of our soul that's just simply missing. Richard Foster, in his classic book, Celebration of Discipline, says this. He says, um, when that's missing, because we lack a divine center, our need for security has led us to an insane attachment to things. We really must understand that the lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. It's psychotic because it has completely lost touch with reality. We crave things that we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things that we do not want to impress people that we do not like. What's he saying? He's saying you're made for intimacy with God. You're made for intimacy with God and for deep connection to God's Spirit. And in spite of our fears, our ambivalence about intimacy, and despite our resistance to it, without it, some vital part of who we are is just simply missing. We're hollow. And in the end, that hollowness is even more uncomfortable and painful than the raw, naked intimacy that we're fleeing. Why pray? Why pray? Because it's the way to be human. It's the way to be you. It's the way to be whole. And so this Advent, be human. Welcome into your life and into your home and into your families hope and love and joy and peace. Welcome that into that deepest secret part of who you are. And let your soul be kissed by God. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for making us to be human. Thank you for teaching us to pray. Help us to learn well. In Jesus' name. Amen.